The north stretch of Grand County above I-70 is filled by wild and rugged country known as the Book Cliffs. The Book Cliffs is a largely uninhabited tract of land exceeding 2 million acres, composed of many stakeholders including the Bureau of Land Management, State Trust Lands, Wilderness and Wilderness Study Areas, and Tribal Land, amongst others. Though there is a long history of grazing and extractive projects in this area, and many dirt roads provide access to most of the canyons, ridges, and flats, wildness remains the Book Cliffs' most predominant feature. The Book Cliffs are a haven for wildlife and house numerous populations of elk, bison, deer, and many other sensitive to threatened wildlife and plant species. The ecosystem is fragile, with water present but not abundant. In the late 1980s or early 1990s, depending on how you look at it, proposals to pave a segment of the Book Cliffs started to rear their ugly heads. The Book Cliffs Highway has since taken on many iterations, from its origins as an energy transportation corridor via Sago Canyon to the current plan touted by the Seven Counties Infrastructure Coalition. This proposal connects East Canyon to the north-south paved segment of Seep Ridge, ostensibly connecting Moab to Vernal under the guise of improving tourism. But the reality is this corridor would only save commuting tourists 15 to 20 minutes of travel time versus existing routes, while tacitly reducing two to three hours of driving time from extractive sites. For upwards of 30 years, the residents of Grand County have roundly stood opposed to the creation of the 35-mile paved segment of road through the eastern book cliffs, which would pave access from I-70 to Seep Ridge. This 35-mile segment would complete the construction of the so-called Book Cliffs Highway, but let's be clear, Moab and Vernal are already connected by this road as it currently exists, and more importantly, by other existing highways. For today's Great Wide Open, I sat down with three devotees of keeping the eastern Book Cliffs pavement free. County Commissioner Tricia Dean, Rural Utah Project, and Save the Book Cliffs representative Sam Van Wetten, Book Cliffs enthusiast Jared Trader and I discussed our mutual love for the Book Cliffs and the many, many, many reasons why the eastern Book Cliffs should be kept pavement-free, none the least of which would be its effect on the big game populations thriving in that area. The day following, we learned that the SCIC has, for the time being, tabled this project. Emphasis should be kept on tabled, not completely shelved. So we should all keep a vigilant eye on this project as it is likely to reemerge again down the line. So please sit back and enjoy our conversation today about the spectacularly wild book cliffs. Later on this week, the show will be uploaded to the KZMU Great Wide Open webpage. And on that page, we will, as always, have resources for the folks listening um, and how you can stay involved in this effort to keep the book cliffs pavement free. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Great Wide Open. I am sitting here in the KZMU studio a week before airtime, doing a show with Trish Hedin, Jared Trader, and Sam Van Wetter. And we are here today to talk about this looming sort of Damocles that has been circulating around pretty much since the day I walked into Moab, called the Book Cliffs Highway. And you might ask, what does the Book Cliffs Highway have to do with outdoor recreation and outdoor recreation in Moablandia writ large? Well, it actually has a lot to do with recreation because anytime human structures infiltrate 
a wild or wooded or canyoned area, there's going to be a dramatic change. And we'll get started by going around the room and introducing you to our guests, starting with the person on my right, Trisha Dean. Trish, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I came to Moab, Lisa and I were just talking, I came to Moab about 22 years ago. I actually, and I'll talk a little bit about hunting. I grew up in a hunting family, but I also grew up in a day and age when girls didn't necessarily hunt. My dad took all of my brothers and did not take me. So I didn't start hunting until I moved to Moab. And one of my neighbors came down the street and gave me some elk meat. It was Scott Anderson, who no longer lives here. And he said, I said, oh, my dad used to hunt. And he goes, you should start hunting. And so I did. I bought a rifle and started walking out in the woods, which was interesting. It didn't go very well at, at first. <laughs> But eventually I met some, some folks that helped me out. Um, I'm also a county commissioner and so am quite involved with the Bookcliffs Highway and and thought that it would be just an interesting kind of conjunction to bring these two couple um, ideas together. I'm Jared Trader. Uh, as far as my relationship to hunting, I'm very new at it. Uh, Trisha here has actually taught me a lot of what I know about hunting. Um, like she said, she didn't grow up doing it. I grew up doing it even less, I suppose. Uh, no one in my family was a hunter. Uh, my dad didn't do it. My granddad didn't do it. I didn't really know anybody that did it. Um, I had an attempt at trying to bow hunt like 10 years ago or so. Um, but I didn't have anybody around to kind of help me out with that pursuit. And then I met Trish. She kind of talked me into doing it. Took me out for my first hunt. And that's kind of how I got into that. Um, so yeah, that's me. And I'm Sam Van Wetter. I'm a field organizer with the Rural Utah Project. I've been primarily working on the Book Cliffs Highway issue uh, from a political organizing side, um, getting different counties to talk to one another, uh, talking to the state as well as other local stakeholders. There's some ranchers who live right in the area whose whose property would be affected. Um, but but one of the primary losses, if this highway were to go through, is the remoteness of the Book Cliffs region and the way that a, a paved thoroughfare would totally change the wildlife corridors there and the access that we as recreationalists have. I'm not a hunter. I'm on a few people's list to like uh, text or call me if they need help packing out an animal, which which makes me feel good. I've 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 been called out once or twice, uh, and I go load up in the middle of the night and help them walk. Um, but I'm a I'm a cyclist and I love riding on gravel and the book cliffs are full of that. So it, it, we are talking about hunting and that that side of the wildlife and recreation today. Um, but book cliffs region has a whole lot of possibilities for other forms of recreation too it certainly does and if you are a great wide open listener or you have been around moab for a while you probably know a little bit about my backstory which is i'm a wildlife biologist um i specialize in doing surveys for birds of prey and i too have spent uh, a lot of time in the book cliffs over my 20 plus years doing wildlife biology here and I can tell you that when I first started doing work in the book cliffs, it was next to impossible to find information about <laughs> this huge expanse of wildland that basically extends from the 
Route 6 corridor to Colorado, and then, of course, north of I-70 to... Vernal. Vernal, basically, yep. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'll do surveys in these canyons, and I tried to get information, which generally, anecdotally, if you ask enough people, you're going to find someone who's like, oh, yeah, I've been there, and you do this and you do that. It was like crickets mm -hmm. um, as far as the book cliffs were concerned. So I kind of, to use climbing parlance, I had to on-site <laughs> <laughs> the whole project and, and just do a lot of exploring and um, a lot of driving out roads that I got turned around on and a lot of trying to drive to Vernal and hitting a locked gate and being turned around and wondering if I was going to make it back to services this is like before we had cell phones and all those kind of things so the four of us do share um uh, an appreciation from even our differing perspectives of what an amazing place the book cliffs is and actually how like under utilized it is as as a recreation resource right why don't you tell us, Trish, about your first experiences in the book Well, list. it's interesting you brought up the driving around endlessly. So I do not know why. So let me kind of try to give you an overview of, of hunting in Utah. So you can't just buy a rifle and walk out walk out in the woods. I mean, I kind of made that sound like that's what I did. Um, you know, you have to have a hunting license. You have to go through hunter ed education. You have to have a hunting license. And, and then you have to draw a tag or purchase an over-the-counter tag, depending on what you wanted. I actually strangely drew a bull elk tag, which is not a common thing on my second year of putting into these lotteries. I drew a bull elk tag. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And so Man. it was usually, I would say, in the book cliffs, that it's probably a 15-year wait. Hmm. Right, um, to draw that tag. I drew one my second year. Again, knew nothing. I had killed a cow elk. Knew nothing about that country. Don't really know why I put in for the book cliffs, maybe other than just like looking at a map and saying, oh, this is close to Moab. I did exactly what you did. I just started driving around. I knew nobody I knew nobody that knew anything about that country. And I would run into the guys checking the gas wells, and they'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would often run into the guys <laughs> checking the gas Well, they'd be leaving. <laughs> right. Because I work at night, and I would be going in, and they would just be looking at me like, what the heck? Who is this person just, like, randomly driving up the Hay Canyon right. Road right. Yeah. at 7 p.m. On, in July? Right. But those individuals helped me a lot, right? I mean, I just kind of was constantly talking, and, you know, I'm in this country. I'm going here. Well, you need to be here. You need to get up on top, you know, et cetera, and so on. And, and that's where I started. I ended up killing a bull my dad came out um to hunt with me and harvesting a bull really only I, I i would say maybe about a half a mile from where that highway will run so my camp when we set up camp we set it up right at the top of east canyon before you kind of go up the last little grade there it's a beautiful little spot um there is like some gas lines right there and i'll state that i i don't want to at all make it sound like it's pristine country. There are old gas lines everywhere, um, natural gas lines that have been there. You might know better than me, I think from the 50s or 60s-ish. So they're fairly old. Um, but this camp is in the Aspens. There's a spring right there. It's just a really cool little camp. There's often just elk. You can be right in, right in camp and just hear elk bugling. Um, so we camped right there and then I killed a bull 
right up on top, not very far from where that highway will run. Not a very large bowl, but it was, you know, just a really cool experience with my dad. And I'm just going to back us up a tiny bit. We are not going to do um, like a real deep dive into the whole history of the Book Cliffs Highway today. But let's, um, since we all have um, in our mind, but let's go back and maybe paint a little bit of a picture of what the Book Cliffs is like. And would you like to do that for us, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the for book the person who's never been there. Sure. Um, yeah, so as you are leaving Grand Junction and driving west, you'll start seeing to your right uh, the topography uh, starts to elevate, and there's a big, big wide apron of desert um, kind of in the in the Cisco Danish flat area. Um, there's this big apron of desert, and then when it hits the book cliffs right at the base there, it starts starts uh, rising in elevation pretty dramatically. It, it ascends about 2,000 vertical feet, maybe more like 1,700, um, up, to, up to the top of Seep Ridge, um, which is, which is a, a long uh, kind of uplifted feature that runs east to west. Um, the name Book Cliffs, uh, there's some debate about it, but from many perspectives it looks like the pages of a book um these skinny little canyons that are that are cut by springs and creeks and um it it is a verdant area that's really it's it's treed until you get up high and even up there there's some good tree coverage uh this time of year in the winter you can encounter snow drifts up top that are 10 feet deep from blowing snow um, it's a it's a dramatic place. There are often flash flooding events that happen in the springtime that wash out down the canyon, and uh, it is a pristine habitat for wildlife. Uh, it's a it's a crucial elk migratory corridor. There are bears that live up there. The folks who live up there see um, all sorts of foxes and coyotes. There's rumors of wolves and badgers. Um, so it's 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 a really wild place. There is quite a bit of oil infrastructure up there, and this highway would provide access to more, which is which is what we are fighting against. I'll just echo your sentiment about the difficulty just finding information about the book cliffs, and obviously that's changing as you have social media, people posting things online, hotspotting a lot of places. Um, but just an example of that is, so I'm I'm a big fly fisher, and last year. I believe that was last year. I had I had just heard some word about uh, Department of Natural Resources restoring a stream up there, and they didn't want to hotspot that hmm. for good reason. So they just said, "Here's what we did." They they got out all the non-native species, introduced some Colorado cutthroat, and I was really interested in going on a backpacking trip and trying to find this stream. And it, like you said, just wandering around. I didn't know where I was going. They didn't name the stream. I talked to a lot of people. I talked to Trish here. I suppose I probably could have talked to DNR and asked them directly, but that would have been a lot less fun. <laughs> um, and obviously I won't hotspot the, the area I went to, but I, I went up there, I explored it. Um, I think I spent like five days or so up there. Cool. It was gorgeous. I found exactly what I was looking for. Um, some of the best fly fishing of my, I'll, I'll say the best fly fishing of my entire life. Cool. Um, and like they were saying, it's a pristine habitat for wildlife. If I saw... I mean, pretty much all the big game, I, I checked off the list just in, in those five days. Aside from a bear, surprisingly, I didn't see any bears. But bison, elk, deer, all kinds of stuff up there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite uh, an exceptional place up there. Um, 
and it's it's worth keeping that way. It's totally worth keeping that way. Um, and it does have this kind of uh, juxtaposition of being accessible in many ways, and then with giant swaths of inaccessible. So I would think from a hunting perspective, um, and, and as a general outdoor recreationalist, exploring on your bike, as you said you did, Sam, I mean, uh, Jared, sorry, and Trish getting out there. My understanding is when you first were exploring in the book cliffs as a new like solo hunter, you were more interested in just the whole notion of getting lost and unlost and exploring this beautiful terrain. Yeah. I mean, that that's to me, I mean, I think about all the things that we do. You and I do a lot of similar activities, climbing, biking. I don't bike much anymore, but it really, it takes you to all these places, which is cool. Hunting kind of pushes you a little bit farther, right? You go down into canyons, like, I shouldn't say that. With rock climbing, we've gone into some odd places where you see a chunk of rock and you're like, I gotta go. But you have a very specific (laughs) definition of, like, Mm -hmm. you're gonna stop there. Right. With hunting, you could... Yeah, yeah, I've gone into these really random canyons and tried to find ways into places where I'm like, I know the big bulls go there in late winter, right? I want to find out where they go. I want to, so it really does push you farther out into areas just to, you know, check stuff out. One of my favorite places now too is Elk Ridge. I, I'm spending a ton of time on Elk Ridge. Um, Elk Ridge is, is a little, it's so, it, it's so, it's so much different. It's way different than the book cliffs, right? But same thing there's just all these deep dark canyons i am finding some towers which i've been passing along <laughs> to our tower masters right but but just deep dark canyons and places to explore and it's just it's amazing right just something to push you farther out especially as you get older i hate to say this but you know some of these sports aren't as friendly to me and it you know so things like hiking i can do incessantly right um other things I can't anymore. So, but that's, that's a great thing about I would, to me hunting. I would totally agree with that. Like com- compared with, I mean, a, two bigger activities that I do, like I, I do a lot of mountain biking. I do a lot of backpacking. You're following trails when you do that. Right. You're following something that somebody has set aside for you to, to walk or ride on, which is great. That serves its own purpose. But when you are hunting, you're exactly right. Like you find yourself so often I find myself in these places where I'm like, man, I would have never, ever been here if I wasn't searching for meat, you know? Right. It, right. It, it really draws you into areas where, um, yeah, no one's, no one's telling you to go there. You're just kind of following your own imagination or intuition, and that can bring about some pretty special experiences. Well, and Lisa, you're a biologist, so you understand all of these components that produce habitat, right? water, forage, space, um, shelter. But for a hunter, I mean, it's all those same things and you start putting together all those pieces, right? Like, okay, there's a spring here. I know an elk will go a couple miles-ish for water. You know, here's some good north-facing cover. I mean, it's just this really, you start just putting together all those pieces. If you're the type of hunter who gets off their ATV. I mean, I should state, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, there's that. Um, but but it is this really special place. And I think the book cliffs even more so, and I could fall into this deep rabbit hole of talking about 
the biology of what's going on up there with the big game populations. But um, the book looks is special because there's not a lot of water. There's not a lot of water. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's few and far between. And, you know, when we talk about the Book Cliffs Highway, one of the things that goes along with this, there's already existing roads. This we know. Hashtag we notice. <laughs> and so for a lot of people, it's like, well, what's the big deal? You're just going to, um, you know, improve and possibly pave this road. But what a lot of people don't understand is that you also are going to expand the corridor for the right of way tremendously i think if my memory serves me correctly in some places it's a half a mile yeah and that's going to be a huge disturbance to the natural balance of the ecosystem up there yeah absolutely the the east canyon where they're talking about installing this this boondoggle of a highway is is so skinny at some points the road the dirt road that's there right now is in the very bottom of the wash it regularly washes out uh, Grand County is already responsible for doing some of the road maintenance up there, and by improving this road, they'd be responsible for a vast, a vaster network of, of B and C roads. Um, and the fact is that those B and C roads exist to help people get into these wild and remote places. And as soon as, as soon as they are, as, as their classification changes, it, it doesn't provide the same access. Um, and it'll push people further out into the into the wilderness. And by a B and C road, you mean? Um, so a B and C road is a classification of of, uh, of roads um, that the county transportation district uh, recognizes, and there are different levels of maintenance that are required uh, depending on what the designation is. And there are also different allowances for different sorts of vehicles. Um, so the folks who are trying to build this highway are pushing it uh, sometimes as a tourism highway, ostensibly to d connect the dinosaur diamond area um, up near Vernal to Moab and uh, Utah's Big Five National Parks. Um, and, you know, when you're up there, it's just <laughs> it's hard to imagine tourists uh, preferring to drive a route like that where there are no amenities, there are no hotels, there's no gas. Um, and there are already routes that um, that go between these two areas that have that have all those amenities. Um, so this is this would just send people way out beyond where they really need to go if they're just trying to get from park to park. And if someone does want to go via you know a swath in the wilderness of the book cliffs, this can this still happens you can still do this if one has an off-road vehicle um, a four-wheel drive vehicle so there is already that option as a tourism related or an outdoor adventure aspect that already exists this can be done we yep. we've all done this yep. um for the person who is just trying to connect the dots between the parks there are two just fine and dandy paved access roads. They're actually, Baxter Pass is one of the most beautiful drives you can do in this part of the country. It is. Um, and yes, has more access to potential amenities or whatever, if you're the, the car driving person. So we could really get into like the reasons why we don't need this highway, which I think we're, we're all on board with that <laughs> as is grand County in general and has consistently been for 30 years through all the various iterations, which we talked about a little bit in the introduction. Um, but here it is again, raising its head and Trish, I know you have taken a stance of like, we need to put this to bed now and forever. Right. 
I don't know if it'll ever be put to bed. Sam probably has a better feel for that, but it does seem to rear its head. I mean, there is some, this is probably just an opinion. The individual that really drove the seep ridge portion of that road is still alive and well, and the executive director of the Seven County Infrastructure Coalition. And I do think he has a very heavy stake in wanting to finish that road. It was probably some egg in the face to have that road go to the county line and stop. Um, and maybe after he has removed himself from politics, he would, it would die. I don't know. I don't know if it's... I don't I, know. Yeah. And I, I think there needs to be a larger shift statewide to recognizing that these that these wild and hard to access places are some of the best things about living in Utah. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same conversations that are happening elsewhere on public lands in our state that, that, uh, that our current government officials uh, on a state level um, are not recognizing that those are some of the best assets we have in, in our state. Um, so maybe once that shift happens, uh, it'll it'll be the job of of these small state boards to protect them rather than to develop them. Yeah, let's uh let's just flip that script a little bit and pretend um, I'm someone who's on the fence. <laughs> I think there could be great benefits from having a paved highway with a half mile wide right away that is going to be maintained by my tax dollars because I feel like there are going to be some benefits. Trish, convince me as a hunter and outdoor recreationalist why this would drastically change your experience and people like you and why we should not do this. Well, I was, you know, I've been hunting in the book cliffs since they ran Seep Ridge. And I will tell you, or paved Seep Ridge. And I will tell you that drastically changed that habitat. We, we harvested a couple elk. It would have been a mile off of that road. And now it's unrecognizable. I mean, as far as big game, there's direct vehicular mortality, right? And again, I'm speaking to a biologist, so I, I'll try to not talk directly Pretend you're to not. You. I know, I'll <laughs> pretend I'm not talking to a biologist. But you talk about introduction of inv invasive weed species with more vehicular traffic. You talk, we already talked about mortality. Um, the stressors that come with highways, elk specifically, do really do not like highways. Deer seem to tolerate highways a little bit more. That's why you see 50 dead deer from Price to Spanish Fork this time of year. Um, you don't see dead elk very often, occasionally. Um, I think it just puts a lot of stress on them. They've talked about stressors, and, and these are you know research that I've read, stressors producing or lowering recruitment right? Lowering survivability of fawns and calves. And so all of those things. But but beyond that, I am the type of hunter that does not want to hunt off a road, right? So the more roads that we have, specific, specifically highways, it just, highways bring more people. I mean, again, since that, the, the paving of Sea Bridge, there's a ton more people in the book list than I've ever seen, right? Specifically coming off the Wasatch, maybe front or back, um, just people are coming off of 40 and coming down Seepridge with their huge tractor, you know, their huge trailers, big pop outs. I don't know what those things look like, but, you know, it's just it's a different it's a different place than it was, but not necessarily on the front. Right. So it stays like to me, East Canyon is one of those canyons that is very special. There's you don't see many people in East. 
a couple weeks ago, I went up Diamond Canyon. I'd never been up that. It's I continue to do the same thing, just randomly drive roads and just spectacular country. I found a pictograph up there that you'll love this, and maybe you've seen it. It is a, like a five-foot-high, it's five-feet-high owl, and mm. very, very, very detailed. I'll show you a picture later. But, you, I mean, just just the, the wonders up there just go on and on and on. So I think I might have turned sideways on that. Sorry, well, and may, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about that, that notion of the hag, habitat fragmentation, which is something we do talk a lot about in any sort of um, development, particularly in a backcountry environment. One thing that um, a lot of people might not understand because when you see an adult animal, whether it's an adult bird of prey or an adult, adult elk or whatever, you assume a certain level of survivorship. But what people often don't see is that with the juveniles, if they don't have the opportunity to disperse properly, or with the adults, if they don't have the the opportunity to reproduce properly, then 10 years later or so, that's when you start to see a population decline. And that's when you start to be like, oh, crap, we're in a, we're in a situation now. And it's really hard to dig out. It's the unknowns that you're not seeing right. that cascade and 20 years later you're trying to dig yourself out and i'll tell you it's been for i think about three years now the northeastern region of the division of wildlife has been has a working group specifically honed towards big game in that area and i kind of call it that polygon the divide the top i mean that summer range is just critical right to all of the species up there and they're having elk kind of stagnation right the population is just really stagnant the deer are on the decline. Bison are doing well, but, but you know, bison are, <laughs> they're, they're tough animals. You know, you've seen them in the Henrys. They're just tough animals. They, they seem to do fairly well. And some of the latest research, and this is really disconcerting, is the survivability, again, of fawns and calves is really low. They're doing all these really cool studies with them where they, they can collar them immediately upon dropping on the ground. It's pretty cool. I won't get into that. Um, and they used to think it was predation in this last year, a lot of just dead calves and, and fawns, they took them to get it. And, and I'm, I'm not going to say this word correctly, so you need to help me. Not, not autopsy, but necropsy. 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 Yeah. And they thought it was heat exhaustion. So it's really, really concerning. So it's like death by a thousand cuts, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, that's what does often happen to our wildlife populations. I'm, I'm sort of losing my perspective as the person who's supposed to be convinced of these arguments. Um, so yeah, like Sam, maybe you can, um, from the Rural Utah um, Project perspective, why is a highway going to be any worse than a bunch of backpackers or bike packers or motorcyclists cruising around on the dirt roads? Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, a, a bike packer is going to pay their own way through, whereas this highway will require a massive investment from Utah taxpayers. So this, this might be a little bit more on the political side than how Great White Open usually approaches these uh, topics. Um, but it is it is it, the estimates for this highway cost range from one hundred and thirty million dollars up to five hundred million dollars. And with with the way that um, the that supply chain issues and material costs are going, it's going to be on the high side. Um, 
And anyone who has driven roads in Grand County, in Emory County, in Uinta County know uh, there are many other places that could probably use some infrastructure dollars before a highway, which is only really being asked for by uh, extractive industry. Um, so, so from a wildlife perspective, you know, a brief, loud uh, interruption into their habitat, such as a motorcycle or a group of bikers on a road is is better than constant disturbance from construction and from through traffic. Um, from the perspective of rural, of rural Utahns, um, I think we all know that uh, there are other projects that we'd like to see funded with our taxpayer money before that, especially if a new road here um, detracts from the, the, the tourism and the road economy that uh, has been built up in Price and Helper and other places along the 191 and Highway 6 corridors. Um, and the fact is that the, the, the this just can't be undone. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that... Uh, there are so many things that we see in our region that it's like, oh, I wonder what they were thinking when they made that choice, but now it's done and, and we have to live with the consequences. This is this is a road that we can see what the consequences would be and we are in the position to stop it before it happens. Um, it's it's a it's a bad thing for many reasons and uh, and the autonomy and the freedom of uh, of of rural Utahns to determine where our taxpayer money is spent is important um, and that's something that these representatives who are fighting for it ought to recognize. They absolutely are. Oh, there I go, losing my uh, neutrality again. <laughs> well, I'll, con I'll contemplate that. I'll think about it. While I'm thinking about that, Jared, um, as more of a newcomer to mm -hmm. the book cliffs and experiencing um, hunting for other species than, uh, I'm sounding like a nerd now, but that's just how I roll. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you know, you come from a fly fishing background mm -hmm. and now you are exploring other options of hunting. And how do you feel that... Um, a paved road in this resource would affect your experience. So like, like Trish was saying, I mean, obviously that's, you know, you can look at the studies, you can look at every, every bit of data that shows how a paved road is going to affect wildlife. But intuitively we all know that anyway, you don't need those studies. Um, and at, from the hunting perspective, I mean, I'll say, first of all, wildlife, has a right to exist. Nature has a right to exist on its own right. Okay. I guess I should, I get that out of the way, but from the hunting perspective as a stakeholder, I, I guess what your recreation requires is just undisturbed wild terrain. If you compare that with something else, like even mountain biking, something else that I do that I'm passionate about, but what does it require? Some infrastructure. You got to build some trails. You got to get some some boots on the ground out there working, you got to get signage, parking lots, all that. But if you're doing backcountry hunting, like Trish said, if you're, and, and by that I mean, um, to steal your words, get your butt off your UTV and walk around, <laughs> then what it requires is nothing. Nature as it stands. It, it requires undisturbed nature. And I think that's a very beautiful idea. And to throw something like a highway in there is, is so obviously antithetical to that idea. Um, and like you said, all the, all of the effects that are going to come along with that, whether it's just putting more volume of, 
of civilization into the book cliffs. Uh, just the presence of people, the noise of all the cars going by, the like you said, the direct impacts like hitting animals on the road. It, it's it's so clear that this is so obviously a uh, a poorly thought out idea. Yeah, and I, I I guess I want people to really understand, and it's it's difficult if you haven't spent time up there in there, and and I would recommend doing what we've all done, just kind of wandering around if you go prepared. Um, you know, East Canyon is this really tight canyon, but it is like prime winter range. You know, it is just filled with elk in the winter. Um, I, I don't know how many times I've driven up there in the winter and they're just laying next to the road and you're kind of pushing them down the road as you're driving. And then once you get out in the desert again, just really a lot of people look across that desert as just gray nothingness, but there's a lot of animals out there. And it wasn't until I went with another wildlife biologist, a friend of, of, of Lisa and myself, Janine Saya, who's been gone from town for a few years. But Janine and I have gone out into some of those washes and she's like just pointed out all the different burrows and this is that and this is that. And it's just, you know, you look into that country and you don't see much, but it is holding so many animals and cultural resources and it just you know history it just goes on and on and on so well and I think just a brief point to to kind of get at what you're talking about there like sometimes you don't see it right and if especially for people who've never visited the book cliffs if you're looking at it like you're driving uh west on I-70 coming from Junction and you look over there it looks like kind of a wasteland what you can see it, what you're looking at is just basically the the foothills of it, and then you get up there and you you realize, oh my God, this is this is incredible. Um, it's very different than like let's say our LaSalle's, where you can just see from town. You can kind of have an idea of what's going on up there. When you look at the book cliffs from the highway, you don't realize how rich that ecosystem is up there. And I think maybe that is something that a lot of people do need to realize. Like maybe a lot of people are just having this idea of like, well, what's so great about the book cliffs? Like, well, if you go there, you'll you'll see. Right. Yeah. And it's one thing Sam and I have asked from the Seven County Infrastructure Coalition to come down and take a field trip so that they truly understand that country. And there's been some, you know, inklings that a few of them may come down, but um I think, yeah, most of the commissioners on that coalition, well, they're obviously not from Grand County. Grand County is no longer a part of the Seven County Infrastructure Coalition. We were briefly, I think it was a year, correct, before we got on and got off again <laughs> um, because of the Bookcliffs Highway. But, you know, those commissioners don't know that country. I mean, in theory, the Uinta County commissioner should. Um, it's hard to hard to say if they do, but they just don't know. I might like have Sam jump yeah. in. Yeah, I, I, well, I think that's right, and I think it's also important to remember that it's totally different when they're working with an engineer and looking at these these strictly theoretical maps of the area, and uh, you know we're coming to them with concerns. We're saying that this highway would be sixty feet from the front door of of the ranchers who live at at the at the base of East Canyon Ranch. 
and they say, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds bad. And they go back and um, come around to us a few months later and they say, well, we have this new idea that would move it 300 feet away from the front door. And it's like, well, okay, first of all, that's not all that much better. And second of all, the area that you move this highway to is is a cliff wall where there are seven discrete uh, rock art panels, including the Rubido inscription. Uh, these these priceless. Uh, it, there at Hay at, at what is called Three Canyons, um, which is Hay Canyon, East Canyon, and Middle Canyon, Middle. I believe. Um, there's a perennial spring there, and there are layers and layers of human history that are drawn onto the walls there. Um, uh, from very ancient rock art to, to white settlers in the late 1700s and in middle 1800s. Um, and so it's one of those things that, you know, they say, oh, we can engineer around that. Or, oh, we hear your concerns and we'll, we'll move it uh, one way or another. And it's like... Until you get out there and realize that there is something literally around every corner worth protecting, um, mm-hmm. you, you don't have the ability to see it for what it is and see its value. Um, so, it, yeah, to be able to go down there with the commissioners, I think, would be really helpful. And I also am worried that they would be just total robots there. You know, that I, 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 I would be concerned that um, they would see it as resources and as ways to continue to push their agenda rather than really seeing it for for the special place that it is yeah like many things um if you if you just rush through it right especially if you're vehicle bound you you miss a lot of the nuance you miss the i don't know how many eco zones we go through from the flats and the bitter creeks all the way up through to the old growth forest trees and and deep canyons um and then on the other side, when you get onto the north side, it's, it's it is a lot like um, more people are probably familiar with the canyons of the Abajo. So I think more people in this neck of the woods tend to gravitate in that direction, and it's very similar to that with just incredible um, forest diversity mm-hmm. and the bears and the elks and all this. And so one thing I think we really need to think about if we're gonna and since this is a show about recreation there are other venues to if we want to look at it as a political or as an economic island there are ways that recreation can be developed in the book cliffs keeping it pristine or you know like we said it's not pristine there's oil and gas development there etc existing roads but of a more backcountry experience for example I tried to sell one of the um local bike tour companies on a trip from Flaming Gorge to Arches yep. mm. that would be oh, cool. that you would take through the book cliffs because yep. that can be done. And you want to talk about like a remote, peaceful experience. Well, yeah. until we start running <laughs> repeated backcountry trips there, but can, maybe we can talk about that a little bit, the other options that there are for right. exploring the book cliffs, why it's better to keep it as, as it is. Right, right. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting, and I'm, this is maybe an aside, but one of the concerns coming from a commissioner standpoint is the resources that the county will have to put into that region if you put a highway through there, right? Because you're no longer sending out people that are pretty self-sufficient, right? Whether it's a hunter, a biker, a climber, individuals like that, this is my opinion, are fairly self-sufficient, right? I have things in my truck that... I have a winch in my truck so I can get myself out of, for example, out of situations. You put the average tourist out there, Grand County is now encumbered 
you know, with taking care of those individuals, whether it's search and rescue, and you know that our search and rescue is totally overburdened as it is, and now you're talking about really remote reaches, two hour drive, two and a half hour drive, and or our sheriff on a constant basis, we already send our road department out there. So from a Grand, Grand County perspective, it, it's an impact. It'll impact the, the resources that we can provide to individuals here in the valley or close to the valley. So just, I keep kind of sidestepping. Have you guys noticed that? <laughs> I, go, I, I turn sideways. You're a true right politician. Away. I'm a squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lisa, I, I don't know if you want to put on air that you have great ideas for new uh, <laughs> new tour routes <laughs> just outside of Moab. Some, someone's gra- going to grab your grab your itinerary and use it um but but yeah I, I i agree and it's one of those that we don't know what the possibilities are for for other ways of recreating there uh, uh if yeah if, if this i would say that if this highway went in uh all of those future options would be lost and and it, it's one of those that as i said before if we have a chance to do something about it now then we ought to um, I want to circle back to the uh, issue of uh, animal animal mortality on on these developed roads and up on Seep Ridge, there has been a, a increase in animal mortality, um, and the SCIC or or uh, whomever built that section of the road um, actually hasn't completed some of the the um, migration protection measures that could be used in road infrastructure. Could right. you talk about My that understanding more? is that they built underpasses, right, right, for migration, for movement of animals, but they never put up the fencing, right? So... <laughs> So there you go. So you you just give them a map. <laughs> They'll find it. <laughs> they don't really want to use those underpasses unless forced to, right? Yeah. You would assume. Well, they want they they have the historical and and there's speculation with some animals species that it's like at a super like epi, um, not epidemiology but epigenetics level huh. of like these are our historical migration routes. Mm-hmm. Right. We will maintain them. Right. And yes, unless otherwise and obviously diverted. Right, right. And then like, oh, okay. Yeah, so there's been quite a bit of mortality on Seep Ridge. That road, I think is posted as 65, but I will tell you, Which you is... can really you can really move on that road. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you from personal experience. <laughs> you can really put the hammer down. You're not doing much to <laughs> support you your case. <laughs> you got to jump out to Vernal really quick and get more fuel or whatever it might be. Well, and there's no one to stop you. Either. Right, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, one, I'm pretty good friends with the sergeant of the division up there, and he said one truck and trailer killed nine bison in one event. Oh. And I do not do not, that must have been just a really ugly event. But, you know, oh. bison to the Division of Wildlife are just the value in them is is huge um mm-hmm. so that was that was that's a huge hit yeah right? i i think that conversation and and the example of uh, the fencing not going up is is just something that we could expect with a road extension down into grand county um, all, all the lip service that they have given us and will give us about, oh, we'll, we'll use this mitigation me- measure or we'll protect it in this way. Um, they have a track record of not following through and not completing on that. Uh, so, so yeah, don't, don't give them an inch. Otherwise, otherwise, yeah, we might not, 
we might not ever get what uh, has been promised to us in terms of protecting this area with infrastructure. Well, as we're getting uh, close to the end of our hour for this month's Great Wide Open, I thought maybe um, if you guys want to, we could all kind of share a moment that we've had in the book cliffs that kind of encapsulates or highlights how important it is to have these at least less roaded areas. And for me personally, one time I was doing a survey and I don't know why I can't remember. I think the name Hell was involved with the canyon. <laughs> it's over on the other side of the divide. Um, and, you know, it's, the roads aren't really great there. So I was on my bicycle, you know, chugging on out to do get to my canyon and do my survey. And then there, there are these bears that are, you know, and when you're a human on foot, an ex interaction with a bear is a little bit different than when you are, you know, in a car or you, you know, you see one on YouTube or whatever, you really realize how big those things are. And it was just so cool to be out there on their terms and totally respecting like their space, not getting near it and just kind of like chugging carefully along, kind of feeling like a baby mule deer. Like what's, how's this going to all go down? Even though I know black bears probably don't eat mule deer unless it's opportunistic. But anyway, <laughs> just those are the kind of experiences that you have in a place like that, that is accessible, but not easily accessible. So you're forced to get out and ride your bike or walk on foot or something like that. And just really like get a great perspective of what a tiny piece of the puzzle you are as a human and we are as humans. Yeah. This is a tough one because I've had a lot of amazing experiences. But since you brought up predators, and, and again, you're, you're right, bears are opt opportunistic. So um, I've only seen two lions, mountain lions, in my life, mm -hmm. and both were in the book cliffs. And both were juveniles, fairly small lions. So I guess that's a positive because I was on foot. But one, this is funny, I wasn't far from my truck. I mean, I was literally maybe 100 yards from my truck, and I was talking on the phone. So this isn't a real nature experience. And that lion was between me and the truck, and he walked between, and just the whole time staring at me, he must have been like, what is that? I'm going to go check it out. Maybe I'll try to eat it <laughs> if it's the right size. I obviously was not, but... but there's so many, I've had so many experiences up there, but I'll say the two lions, the, that was pretty, pretty spectacular. Cause the, those are, it's not usual. I mean, if you've seen, you're in the out of doors at night all the time. Have you seen mm. a lot of lions? Well, worse, I hear them. Okay. Oh. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll close off this episode with playing a little clip of, uh, of one of my mountain lion okay, encounters. Okay, that'd be cool, mm. that'd be cool. Okay. <laughs> Uh, maybe I'll just come at it from the fly fisher perspective. Like, it. So as a fly fisher, like personally, I I tend to seek out um, very uh, unpopular places. Um, I mean, you could go to places like you know the Provo River and stuff, and like blue blue ribbon streams like that, and get some amazing fishing done. But if you've ever been there, if you've ever done that, it's you're kind of elbow to elbow with a lot of people. There's a lot going on there. It's a very artificialized habitat, stocking, yada, yada. When you go like into a place like the Book Cliffs and you can have the opportunity to, you know, you're not catching trophy fish, but you're fishing these beautiful small streams. Nobody's around. If you see anybody else around, they look at you like you're weird because you're throwing a fly out there. Like, what are you doing out here? And I love that. If you throw a highway in there, 
think about how much that would change. Um, I'm not saying it'll turn into the Provo, but you're going to have so many more people, so much more foot traffic and wheel traffic going out there and just absolutely transforming the landscape for the negative. It's, I, I, I see no positive at all um, coming from that as far as the landscape is concerned. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's just one reason why I value it. Just that, that isolation out there being by yourself, um, and not, yeah, from a recreation point of view, not competing for a resource, like that's, that's kind of a beautiful thing. Coming from Moab where we're all jostling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about it from, uh, from some of the fun I've had biking up there. I, I took my gravel bike up there one day last fall and I had studied the map and I, you know, I knew it was somewhat of an ambitious loop, but to, but to see kind of the area that, uh, this highway would affect and, um, bike for a ways up, up one of the canyons and came to this intersection. And I knew from looking at the map that I should go right uh, but there was a little handmade sign right at the intersection that said the hard way and it pointed right, <laughs> which is the way that I thought I had to go. And I said, oh, no. So I went left and I went for a ways and it dead ended at an oil pad. And I was like, oh, geez. And I turned around and sure enough, I was supposed to go up and over the hard way. And it was hard. It was unrideable. It was I took my bike for a walk up and over the hill. <laughs> Uh, and, but it was, it was, it was just that joy of being in a place that not a lot of people know and that the maps are reliable, but not clear. Um, and, and just, just feeling like I was connecting, um, places, uh, on foot and on my bike that otherwise, uh, I would never get to, um, just by virtue of wanting to learn more about that place. Um, so if, yeah, if anyone wants to learn more about the book cliffs, you could Google it. You might learn a little bit about, uh, Green Rivers Elementary School, <laughs> the, the book cliffs bears. That's, that was some of the first uh, Googling I did. I was like, I don't think this is the same thing. Um, but you can, you can talk to us, you could talk to Trish and she could tell you some fabulous stories, but really the best way to learn what's so special about this place is to pack the car with enough food for two nights, bring some warm clothes and, and look at a map and say, I'm going to go find some petroglyphs in this area. I'd love to see some bison in the wild, uh, go out and do it with the spirit of adventure. Um, and, and appreciate it for a pretty untrammeled and adventurous area that still exists. Um, yeah, I'll plug really quick. You can visit our website, savethebookcliffs.org. Uh, we've got a petition there. Sometimes we have action alerts. Um, but for the most part, uh, we're just working on, hard on the SCIC to take this off their priority list to prove to them that this is an area worth protecting and that um, that tourism infrastructure or oil infrastructure is not worth the destruction to a place that is so special to so many people and wild beings. We'll definitely put your the link to your website um, on our webpage when this loads live a few days after broadcast. And I think that we... You know, the four of us, hopefully we got it across how much we love this place and it's a special place. And it's also making me wonder how many other little individual units there are like us who are like out there doing their own thing. Maybe we should all swap phone numbers so we can uh, mm -hmm. be each other's backups. When you say I'm like, I'm in the 
East Fork of the West Fork of Westwater Canyon, and I can't get out. And, um, oh, I know where that is. Yeah. And it was great having a conversation with the three of you, um, all with our different levels of expertise or experience in the book cliffs. I really want to thank you all for coming, and I want to thank Trish for suggesting this topic for Great Wide Open. And any of you other great wide open listeners out there, if you have an idea of um, something you'd like us to cover that pertains somewhat to outdoor recreation in this area, please let me know at kzmugwo at gmail.com or contact one of your friendly KZMU staff and they will direct you to me. Thank you guys so much for coming up here today and having this conversation. Thank Thank you. you. It was so fun.